creation. I didn't realize they were going to do that song, but if I'd have known, I wouldn't have had to give a message. Because <laughs> they, they captured much of what I wanted to say th- through the song there. The, the Lord's good. I guess he knew you needed a double dose of it. <laughs> we're going to turn this morning to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read the, the resurrection story. Matthew chapter 28. Now on the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his garments as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take the word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there you shall see me. The Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, prayed that prayer that I'm sure is familiar to all of us. He, he prayed, or he expressed his great desire there, and that was to know Christ, that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection, and that I might know the fellowship of his suffering. Now, probably we have all experienced some of the fellowship of his suffering. If you don't have something in your life that is causing a little bit of suffering, see me afterwards and we can arrange that. <laughs> but uh, we, we know the fellowship of his suffering. But this morning I want us to focus on that little phrase that he gives us there, that we may know the power of his resurrection. What does that imply? If we're not careful, we often get a distorted view of, of what he's saying in that phrase, the power of his resurrection, and we imply that that means we can get whatever we want from God, that he's able to answer any prayer that we ask. As a matter of fact, we almost demand that he answer some of our, our, our prayers there. I don't think that's what the Apostle Paul had in mind, and if you adopt that viewpoint, you could be in for a time of discouragement. Because God doesn't always do it our way. Sometimes he does it his way. Years ago, H.G. Wells, the agnostic, was taking an important exam when he was in the university. Didn't have much to do with the Lord, but he did know about the Lord. And and, uh, suddenly he's hit with this exam and he hadn't prepared for it, had forgotten all about it. I don't know if any of you ever did that or not when you were in school, but... uh, For some reason, he procrastinated, put off studying for it. He comes to the exam, realizes how important it is, and for one of the few times in his life, he prayed, Lord, help me to pass this test. He failed it miserably. And when he got his paper back, he said, okay, Mr. God, if that's the way it's going to be, I will never pray again. He misunderstood scripture, misunderstood who God was. God's not here to 
to do our will. We're here to, to do his. And so let's take a second look at the resurrection and the power of his resurrection. What does it really accomplish for us today? We get a glimpse here, first of all, of his power over the elements. It's an area that's far beyond our control. You ever wish you could control the elements? We, we got up Friday morning. We were in Red Deer, Alberta. We had a plane to catch in, in Calgary, at about 80, 90 miles to drive. And we were in the middle of a blizzard. Uh, I, I really asked the Lord, stop the snow. <laughs> <laughs> I had every intention that, that he was going to stop the snow, but it wasn't until we got it clear into Calgary that the snow let up. It was blowing across, drifting across the road and so forth. Uh, it took us almost two, two and a half hours to make that, that distance. But we got there. We left in plenty of time. But uh, we just don't have the power to control the elements, do we? And yet notice here, God does. Did you notice... What happened when he rose? There was an earthquake. Where do you think that came from? I think God sent that earthquake for a reason. Matter of fact, this is the second earthquake in less than two days. If you go back to chapter 27, verse 54, now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. When he gave his life on the cross, there was an earthquake. And as, as you look at the events, if you take some time to read that chapter, you'll notice that he got a real message to the guards, to those that were standing by through, through that earthquake. They, they were shook. Uh, and now as he comes out of the tomb, there's a, a second earthquake as well. I don't think that's a coincidence in timing. I think God planned it that way. And I think God was the one in control over that. During the first one, the, the veil in the temple was rent in two. The, the centurion came to the conclusion, this is the son of God here. And as you come to the second one, it's no wonder that we read the guards shook for fear. They were afraid for their life. They, they were sure that their, their, their time had come. How could he have such power? How could he orchestrate these events? Well, the fact of the matter is, he was God. He is God today. In Colossians chapter 2, in verse 1, we read these words in verse 16, Colossians 2, 16. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What is that suggesting to us? It's suggesting that he has the power over the elements that that touch our lives. He has the power, as he did with, with his disciples, to still the storms, to calm the seas. And as we think about that, have you ever had those times... When life just seemed to be totally out of control, you had no control over it. You you didn't know what direction it was going, what was going to happen. Uh, Sometimes it's the forces of nature that are contrary to us. Sometimes it's problems that we are confronting that we have, we're powerless to solve. We can rejoice in the fact 
of the power of his resurrection today. Because when we can't, he can. Now, I'm not suggesting in that that he's going to do it our way. Sometimes he'll calm the sea. Sometimes he'll be in the boat with us and take us through the sea. That doesn't matter how he chooses to do that. We can rest in the fact that Ephesians chapter 3, 19 and 20 says that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above anything that we can ask or think. What is Paul saying in that? You ever face a difficulty and a problem? And I, I don't know about you, but I like to solve them. I, I like to have it all resolved in my mind. And then I go to the Lord and say, hey, this is a way you can work it out. And uh, th- th- this would be great. And I think sometimes the Lord just chuckles and says, thanks, but I'll do it my way. And when I'm finished, you'll know that my way was best. He's able. We, we can come to him with those storms or whatever it is that's touching our life. And we can rest in the fact that he's risen. He is still in control of the events that touch our life. We also see here power over his enemies. We see a group of centurions here standing on guard so that he could not come out of that grave. Not only was the centurions there, they had put the Roman seal on the tomb. These were battle-hardened individuals. They were in Jerusalem because Jerusalem was known as one of those troublesome spots. If if you got posted to Jerusalem, you knew that you were going to a difficult place of service, kind of like going to the front lines almost. The the Jews were always anti-Rome and so forth. And so these men knew how to handle a fight. But if you skip down to verses 11 through 13 here, notice they, they... run away from the tomb there. Behold, some of the guard came into the city, reported to the chief priest all that had happened. And then the priest secured from them a promise that they would say, somebody came and stole the body away. Kind of a ridiculous excuse here, because these men knew how to fight. These men didn't have to cover up for Herod or Pilate. When it came time to a fight, for a fight, they were ready. And yet, when they had to stand in the presence of an angel, suddenly they were flat on their face. They, they couldn't match weapons with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so they sought to cover it up. Uh, when they, the Sanhedrin heard the news, they said, we'll, we'll bribe Herod, we'll bribe Pilate for you if you'll just promise to say that an enemy came and took him away. Beyond that, there are enemies of the cross. We face a foe today. Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's out to destroy. And yet, as we think of the power of Satan today and what he's able to do, I think of Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, where he says that Jesus Christ on the cross triumphed over the enemy, that he on the cross won the victory for us. We can rest in that fact today. They thought they had won the victory when they destroyed the Messiah. And yet, I like the picture that comes out of Psalm 23, verse 5. He speaks of the fact that for us, he prepares a table, a fellowship there in the presence of our enemy. doesn't always remove the enemy, but he, he gives us the assurance that we will have victory over the powers of darkness, over those forces that would come against us there. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
We have a great Savior today. He has risen from the dead. He is in us, working in us today. Because he rose, victory is assured for the child of God today. The outcome is just as sure as if the, uh, in the midst of the trial as it is at the end of the trial. Because he is God. He is risen. And he will walk through those valleys with us and bring us out in victory. And then the third area, he gave us power over death. There was no question that Christ had died. They had pierced his side. The blood and the water had, had come out. Uh, these soldiers were battle-hardened individuals. They knew death. They knew the reality of death. There, there was no se- deceiving them. And when Pilate sends and asks, is he dead? They gave the clear word, yes, he has died. He is done for there. Now, we all wrestle with the reality of death. Age, let's face it, takes its toll. Some of you probably are still at the age where you think 30 is old age. (laughs) Uh, I don't even think 70 is old age any longer. (laughs) But uh, we all face the reality that we're headed that direction. And yet, praise the Lord. Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 19 says, because I live, you shall live also. We may face the reality of death in this life, but death is not the end for the child of God. It's merely the beginning there. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, in verse 54 through 55, we read these words. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Notice what he's saying there. This perishable, are, are, are you aware of the fact that he's talking about you there? That uh, your body slowly breaks down, uh, you get those aches and pains and so forth. He said, someday that's going to be over and death will be swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, he says, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And then in verse 57, he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As a child of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts it very clearly for us in verse 8. To be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. That's the hope that he gives us today. He has conquered death for us. We may not enjoy the process, but the outcome is sure. We're going to be home with him in glory. We're going to be celebrating the eternal life that he has for us. Paul had that confidence in Philippians chapter 1. And I wasn't going to read this this morning, but I think I will anyhow. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20, he speaks of the fact, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then what caught my attention here is verse 23. He said, I am hard pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and what? Be with Christ. We depart to be with Christ. Uh, He's not talking about soul sleep there. He's not talking about a, a long period of waiting. He said, I would rather depart and be at home with Christ than to continue on living in this world. Now, he goes on to say, if God has a work yet for me to do, I'm, I'm content to stay. 
But if I had my choice, I'd go home. I, I would be with Christ in glory there. Death for a child of God, I believe, is merely an entrance, a doorway into glory. We have that hope, that that joy of knowing that death cannot conquer us. Jesus Christ conquered death on the cross for us. And because he lives, we will live also with him. Fourth thing that he brings to us here is power over fear. As we read the account of his resurrection here, I'm struck by the presence of fear. The soldiers were afraid. If you read some of the other accounts, they were not only afraid, but when that angel came, they fell on their face as dead men. That's how afraid they were. The soldiers were afraid. The Sanhedrin was afraid. What's going to happen when news gets out that he's resurrected? They did everything they could to cover that up because they were afraid. What is that going to do to us? What's that going to mean? We put them to death, so we're going to have to answer for this. The women were afraid when, when they approached the tomb. They, how are we going to get the grave open? Again, they didn't think the men did the job right. They, they came to anoint his his body, Nicodemus, and, and what's the other one? Joseph had already taken care of that, but uh, they felt they had to do it the right way. But there was the stone, and how, how they're afraid nobody's going to roll it away for us. What, how are we going to do this? Uh, they came in fear. The disciples, they were hiding in the upper room. Afraid for their life, afraid that they were going to be the next ones arrested. But I want you to notice the words of Jesus in verse 5. He says, do not be afraid. Fear not. Why? He has conquered that fear for us. He is alive today. Psalm 34, verse 4, speaks of the fact that he has delivered us out of not just some of our fears. Uh, You read Psalm 34, next time you read through that, underline if you're an underliner, I'm not an underliner. You're not going to find it underlined in my Bible, but you, you will in my wife's. But I, I underline that little word, all. A-L-L. Just a little word, but it appears so many times in that one psalm. And, and in verse 34, he says, he's delivered us from all our fears. And yet, how many times do we wrestle with fear? How many times do we allow fear to, to paralyze us, to keep us from doing what we have? Uh, we're given that gracious invitation in Philippians chapter 4 in verses 6 and 7 that whenever something touches our life that produces fear there, to bring it in prayer and in supplication before the Lord with thanksgiving. And he goes on to say, if we do that, the peace of God will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's there to remove that fear from our lives. He, he doesn't say there, I'm going to do it your way, but he does say there, I will take care of it. You leave it in my hands and you don't have to bear the fear of it anymore. It is possible for us to have victory over fear in our lives. And I know some of you struggle in those areas. Uh, We we call it worry. Uh, I I always tell my wife, I I don't worry. I just get concerned. (laughs) You worry, but I, I, I get concerned. But the fact of the matter is, if we're not careful, we entertain that spirit of fear, don't we? that spirit of worry. And all that time, the Lord is saying, just give it to me. Let me take care of it. Let me do it my way. And and I'll give you my peace in in the process there. He is there to deliver us from the power of prayer. As I think about that, do you have some circumstance in your life right now 
that's brought some fear into your life? Been worried, upset, maybe even losing some sleep over? Are you willing to say, Lord, I can't do it, but I believe you can. Are you willing to surrender that fear to him and ask him to step in and bring his peace into your life? Then we have power, I believe, over the future here as well. Notice as the, the battle was still still rages today, but I like the words of Billy Graham several years ago. He met with a group of senators in the in the Capitol building there. He had been invited to, to join them for lunch. As, as they had the conversation around the, the table, somebody said to him, Billy, are you a pessimist or an optimist? And without hesitation, Billy said, I'm an optimist. And, of course, the obvious question is, well, why? When you look at all that's going on and all that we see around us, how can you say you're an optimist? And I like the way he answered that question. He said, I'm an optimist because I read the last chapter. Yeah, we know the outcome. We know someday we're going to be with Christ in glory. We know that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He's coming back as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. The future is in his hands. I trust you've read the last page, the last chapter there. Uh, This was not the end for the disciples. They felt like everything was finished. Their hopes were dashed. Their plans were gone. And yet, notice in verse 7 there, he said, go quickly and tell my disciples that he's risen from the dead. And then notice he said, he's going before you into Galilee. And again, he repeats that same idea in verse 10. He said, tell them to leave for Galilee. I have a job for them to do. I have a purpose yet for them. Their future is in my hands. Again, we all have plans. I trust that you have some plans for tomorrow, for this week. You know what you're going to do. I can't imagine getting up in the morning and not having any idea what you're going to do for the day. That doesn't appeal to me at all. I I like to think it all through. Uh, A lot of times sitting at the breakfast table, if I'm not saying anything, my wife knows what I'm doing. I'm going over the plans for the day. But I think it's good for us to keep in the back of our mind James chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 13 through 16. There he's talking about an individual that said, I'm going to go into such and such a city. I'm going to sell. I'm going to buy and sell. I'm going to set up a business, and I'm going to get a great gain out of that enterprise. Now, there's nothing wrong with those plans. We need to wisely think through what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and so forth. But the emphasis there in James chapter 4 is, he said, you know, you need to say, if the Lord wills. If this is the Lord's plan, then it'll succeed. If it's not the Lord's plan, then then it won't. Uh, I think it's wise sometimes for us to pray, Lord, open the door. Or, if it's not your will, close the door. Aren't you amazed at how he's able to do that? He, he can open, he can close the doors for us any way he chooses there. His will will be carried out. I think it's good for us to remember the Lord's Prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. Remember, he prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But it wasn't It wasn't the Father's plan. And so he went through it. And, and I wonder how many times have we stopped and said, thank you, Lord, that it wasn't possible. Thank you, Lord, that you were willing to do the Father's will. Thank you, Lord, that we can have eternal life today because Christ 
fulfilled the plan and the purpose that he was sent for here. If we honestly desire his, his will, if we honestly seek to walk with him and follow him, we need have no fear in our lives. Today, he is risen. We celebrate today, as we usually do the first Sunday of the month, the Lord's table. And we are reminded in that, that we are to remember his death. He went to the cross. He died for us so that we could have eternal life. But there's also a part of that that sometimes we just kind of gloss over. In two two of the gospel accounts, he says, I want you to do this till I come. It's a future look as well. We're not just looking back at the cross. We're not just looking back at the fact that he died and paid the price for our redemption. That's an important part of the communion service. But we are also looking forward to the day that when, that the day when we will be with him in glory. Because he lives, he said, because I live, you shall live also. So as we celebrate the Lord's table this morning, let us rejoice in the fact that he's coming again, that we're going to be with him in eternity and in glory today. It is traditional in a lot of churches, and that's why I did that at the beginning here, to say, for the pastor to say, he is risen. The congregation repeats the phrase, he is risen indeed. He is risen. <laughs> Caught you by surprise, didn't I? <laughs> he is risen. He is risen indeed. That is the message of the Resurrection Sunday. He has risen, he has risen indeed, and we are going to spend eternity with him because he lives, we shall live also. In the meantime, he invites us to come into his presence. If we're going through some struggles, going through some problems, he invites us to pray, to cast our care upon him. He invites us to come at, uh, he's able to still the storm still. He, that hasn't changed. He's able to meet us in the midst of a heartache or a trial. He's there for us. He wants to see us safely through this life and home to be with him in glory. So if there's a situation in your life that you need to bring to his attention, why not do so now? Turn it over to him and let him release the power of his resurrection in that circumstance in your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just want to stop and say thank you. That Jesus Christ is risen, no longer dead, no longer in that grave. He is risen. He's seated at the right hand of his Father in glory. And that because of that, we have the hope that someday we will be with him in eternity. Thank you for that hope today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing together beneath the cross of Jesus.